Genesis, please. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 28, please. We'll read a few verses and then we will apply it as the Lord sees fit to allow us to do so by his Spirit. Genesis chapter 28, we're beginning to read at verse 10. Genesis 28, verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night. Because the sun was set and he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, a ladder set up upon the earth, on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it unto thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread toward abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob walked, awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took, a, took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a voice saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. We know the Lord will bless that reading of his word in our ears in public. Let us pray. Father, take your word. Take your word and wing it home, we pray, by thy spirit to every heart. Deal with us. Speak to us as thou dost deem it fit to do. And as you seem it fit to do, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would draw men and women to Christ, that you would instruct us and teach us in the way which we should go, and that you'd guide us with your eye. And to that end, Father, we pray in Jesus' name that he alone would be glorified, and thy son would be exalted. Father, help this man of frailty and clay lips to rightly divide the word of truth and to proclaim it through the unction of your spirit. And, O oh God, when we leave this place, may we say of this meeting tonight under this roof, may we all come to the conclusion that this is the house of God and this is the gate of heaven at the preaching of your word. We ask it all in Jesus' name. We ask it for his glory. Amen. Jacob's dream has a stone and a ladder in it. A stone which he used for a pillow. The pillow becomes a pillar when he anoints it with oil. Claims it to be the house of God. And then, of course, the ladder is from heaven to earth and from earth to heaven. Now, tonight we might not get there. We might just get to the introduction. For the Lord has given me 
some insights and thoughts to something of this that it might take an introduction this evening before we can get there. And God willing, maybe next Lord's Day evening we can do more into the actual dream. But the stone is the house of God. The, the stone is actually the stone kingdom on earth. In other words, it's come from heaven and birthed on earth. The ladder is set up from heaven to earth and the angels of God are upon it. And hence the ladder it shows us our one way to glory to heaven. That Christ is the ladder. Christ is the king of the kingdom, of the stone kingdom. And then Jacob makes a vow. He says, if you will be with me, as you say you'll be with me, if I can trust your word, as you said, God, then you are my God. And hence the word of God brings the vow of Jacob, the heart that is fixed on Christ, the heart of the man and the woman who are fixed on Christ and trusting him. Jacob goes on a journey. Tonight we want to look at his journey and learn some lessons from it. And some of you tonight might say, but really that message could be for a Lord's Day morning or a Bible study to people who are already saved. And that may be so, but for some reason God has placed this in my heart for this evening for you. Jacob goes on a journey from his father Isaac's house in Beersheba. And he's headed eastward toward his mother's brother's house, his uncle Laban, who is in Padanaram. In Genesis 28 and verse 10, we're told, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. In direct obedience. Notice, in direct obedience to his father, Isaac, Jacob leaves the family home. And little does he know when he obeys his father's word and goes out in faith. Little does he know that this is not not only an ordinary road, but it is a predestined road. It is a road that God in his divine calling was about to reveal himself upon the Jacob. You don't know what a day might bring forth, friend. We're not to boast ourselves of tomorrow, for we know us not what a day might bring forth. But we don't know when God is calling, God is working, God is drawing. We don't know when he will bring us into a fullness of blessing. Even as an assembly, as a church here in CET or wherever that may be. If God is working among the people, if God is working in the assembly and in the hearts of the men and the women, then we are to stay steadfast in the faith And walk in faith as our Father sends us, as the Spirit draws us. For we know not when the day of fullness of blessing is coming. So have faith and, hold on, have faith and trust God. For the Lord will bring you into that which he has purposed for you in your life. And also for us here as an assembly. And hence, Jacob goes in direct obedience to his father. Here's some things I've seen as Jacob is sent out. Notice in verse 28 and verse 1, And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. And notice how the Spirit puts it into the pen of Moses, as it were, into his quill. He directly looks from Isaac to Jacob here. Notice, and Isaac called Jacob, and notice, blessed him, charged him, said unto him. There's no mistaking here. He was telling Jacob something precise. How precise is the word of God in our lives? How precise is the word of God to the sinner when he calls them and shows them their need of Christ? How precise, there's no mistaking, when God is convicting of he or she who are in Christ, Convicting them of ways that they are walking, ways that they are talking, and things that they might be doing. Notice here, Isaac calls Jacob and says, I shall not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. How handy, how easy would it have been from just to find a wife close to home? From just to find a wife next door, the girl next door, 
but they were not Israelites, and he had to marry within an Israelite company on fellowship, and hence then he was to be sent. Another, actually, he was to be sent to the Hebrews because Jacob was to become Israel, and he was a Hebrew. Notice this. Here's what I've seen here in Isaac's sending of Jacob and Jacob's obedience to his father. First of all, people whom God tends to use first learn how to obey. People whom God tends to use, they first must learn how to obey him. Obey the word of God. And the word of God sticks in our crawl sometimes. The word of God is bitter in our belly sometimes. The word of God is hard to swallow sometimes. And it's difficult to yield to the word of God, even to the authority where they have heard the word from. And hence they shoot the messenger or they hit the preacher and they want rid of the pastor and so forth. But if the word of God has been preached or the word of God has spoken to you while you've been reading the word of God, people whom God tends to use first learn how to be obedient. They learn how to obey the word. What has God said to your heart recently and you've struggled with it, you've strived with him? What has God spoken to you and you have not yielded nor handed it over? If you want God to bless you further, if you want God to come alongside you and be close to you as it were, if you want to know the presence of Christ greater, if you want to go deeper into the spiritual things of God and be filled with the Holy Ghost, then when God places his finger by his word on something in your heart, it's time to yield, brothers, time to yield, sister. And if you are unsaved and God has been wrestling with you and dealing with you, it's time to bow and bend the knee. For example, in 1 Samuel 15, we have Saul, who was the people's choice, the first king, as it were, in Israel of the people's choice. And he is supposed to go and kill all the Amalekites. The Amalekites were the enemies of Israel. He was to kill them, slay all of them, even their animals. They would cause trouble down the line. They would cause terrible problems down the line. And God knew in his foreknowledge what must be done. And Saul was to do it. Samuel the prophet told him. But Saul decided he would spare the king to show how merciful he was. And he did not obey the word of God. And when Samuel the prophet comes and he sees that Saul has spared Agag, the Amalekite king, and taken some of their product and their produce and, and their lambs and so forth. The best ones, sure, aren't they good for us to have? They did not carry out exactly what God had said. And here is the word of Samuel the prophet. Here is the word of the prophet unto Saul the king. First Samuel 15 and 22. This is what Samuel says to him. It is better to obey and to sacrifice and to hearken Notice, it is better to obey. Some of us think, well, Lord, we'll do it later and we don't. Some of us think, well, we'll obey later and we won't. And some of us think that, well, the Lord is really leaning upon us and pressing into us the things of his word. It's better to obey, brother, than later on to sacrifice. I'll tell you how sorry I am for what I've done later. Better to obey than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. In other words, you better listen. That's why Jesus always says, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. She that hath ears to hear, let her hear tonight. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. So people whom God tends to use, first learn how to obey. Secondly, people whom God tends to bring into a role of leadership. First must learn how to serve. I'm going to say it again. People whom God tends to bring into a role of leadership first must learn how to serve. 
The Lord Jesus said in Luke 22 and verse 27, For whether is greater he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. The Lord Jesus himself said, Who's the best? Who's the greatest? The one who's sitting at the table or the one who's serving the table? I'm among you as one who serves the table, yet he's the king of glory. He's the creator of all things. And he's there to serve, he says. Such leadership being revealed through service has never been seen like this before in John chapter 13. This is the upper room, the night when our Lord Jesus would be betrayed by Judas Iscariot. He would be taken in to the hands of sinful men and manhandled and then to a quango court and then taken, beaten and whipped and crucified. Listen to John 13, verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour was come, Jesus knew this was the night. He knew this was Calvary. He knew this was it. When Jesus knew his hour was come that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, notice having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Notice having loved his own, he loved them his own. People say, but God will just love everyone. It says here he loved his own. He loved his own. I'm glad I'm one of his own. Verse 12, it says, now listen, look at this. Pardon me, verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil having put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he had poured, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel he was girded with. Take note of this. In the night when he was being betrayed, the devil comes in among the apostles or the disciples at this time. The devil enters into the heart of Judas Iscariot. Christ is in the room and the devil was there. You imagine that. I wonder is Christ here by his spirit and maybe the devil's here turning the hearts and the minds of men away from the word of God. I wonder is the spirit of Christ among us and, and the devil is here working on the minds and the hearts of men and women telling them to shun the word of God. He enters into the heart of Judas Iscariot. Oh, the old subtle serpent. The Lord Jesus gets up. He takes off his garments. Imagine that. He strips himself almost naked. He walks over and he pours water into a basin. He brings it over and puts a towel, lifts a towel and he, he wraps himself in a towel and he gets down to wash the disciples' feet. The devil has entered into the heart of Judas Iscariot. He knows his hour has come. Calvary is looming. The pain, the shame, the suffering, the sorrow. Your sin and mine upon his own body on the tree. Him paying the fullness of our debt. And he takes off his robes and he puts a towel on to serve. Notice. It says he knew he was come from God and he would return to God. He didn't have a high mindset of himself even though he was very God from very God. And even in a greater sense in Philippians chapter 2, listen to what it says in verses 6 and 7 of the Lord Jesus 
who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. The Lord Jesus didn't think it robbery to be equal because he was God. From God and he would return to God. But made of himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of sinful men. Notice he, he, he clothed himself in the garments of humanity. He laid aside his garments. He, he, he as it were, he got up off his seat. He takes off his robes. He puts on a towel and he washes the disciples' feet. Hence also, he got up off the throne as it were. He left heaven. He came the whole way down to earth. He took off his royal robes of heaven and He laid aside his deity. Not that he was never deity. He was always deity. The expression of his godhood, of his divinity and his deity was always with him, but he laid it aside and clothed it with the towel of a man. The towel that he put on him in the upper room was like the clothing of God, his precious son, as a man. And he came to serve. The Lord laid aside the expression of deity in order that he might express himself as a bond slave, a love slave, because he loved you and he loved me. This was an example of his humility and self-abnegation. And it was for the benefit of others like you and I. Moving swiftly, thirdly, Speaking of Jacob's obedience to his father. Godly advice. Godly maturity. Godly experience is often seen by those who are eager, who are keen, who are less experienced and young in the faith as controlling and manipulative. Now notice I said godly advice and I said godly maturity and experience. But the younger in the faith are those who are just coming up in the faith. Think it is controlling when we try to give the advice of what to do and how to do. The spirit, their spirit becomes unteachable. Their attitude becomes unchangeable and their heart becomes unreachable. Listen, brothers and sisters, friends, you don't climb a ladder by jumping straight up to the top rung. Or you don't need a ladder. You don't climb a ladder by jumping straight to the top rung. You start at the bottom rung and you work your way up. Service for leadership. Service for leadership. Jacob, obeying his father, knew he had to go a distance to find his wife. He was in training for reigning. He was in schooling for ruling. Notice here, brothers and sisters and friends, you start at the first rung and every other rung on the way up is wisdom gained and it is experience earned. It's wisdom gained. It is experience earned. For example, in 1 Kings chapter 12, we have two young men, one called Rehoboam, that is Solomon's son, taking over the reins of kingship of Solomon in Jerusalem. And you have Solomon's little a steward, if you want, or he was a young man with a lot of promise. Jeroboam was his name. Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was put in charge of the northern territory of Israel. And at the death of Solomon and and Rehoboam, his son, coming in uh, to kingship, he brings the people down, as it were, to Jerusalem and asks that, if I can put it this way, that the taxes would be lighter. That if there were, let me put it into a modern term, that, that the tax bracket wouldn't be so high. I'll put it into a modern term that 
that the fuel costs wouldn't be so costly, that the electricity wouldn't be going up 33% every other week. That the petrol prices and the, and the diesel prices and all of those things are, won't go sky high and the metal, the steel, the wood, the wood not go sky high. And he brings them down and he asks for help. So Jeroboam asked for help for the people of the north of Israel. And in 1 Kings 7, listen to what it says. Rehoboam goes and takes advice from old men and then the younger men. If thou wilt, they say, this is the older men, if thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day and wilt serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. The older men are saying, listen to the people before there's a revolt. Treat the people right and treat them well before they get angry. Men with experience, men who walked with his father Solomon, the man of all wisdom given by God, who sat with him and ate with him. They've picked something up from him and they're saying, listen, Rehoboam, take it easy on the people. Oh, if our government would listen to the things that are being preached from some pulpits, you better wise up and start taking it easy on the people. You know why? Because they're starting to wake up. They're starting to wake up. So that was the old men. They'll be thy servants forever. He goes, verse 8, but he forsook the counsel of the old men which they had given him and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him which stood before him. And the young men say, tell them you're going to make it worse. I'm paraphrasing. Read about it. And he goes back and says, I'm taking the advice of the young men. I'm going to be the big ladder. I'm going to be standing in front. I'm going to throw out my authority and I'm going to tell them what they need to hear. He goes and he tells them, my little fingers shall be thicker than my father's loins. You think you've got it bad now? Wait till the end of the program we have for you. Folks, you think you got it bad now? Just you wait to the end of the program that they have for us. Yes, godly advice and maturity and experience is often seen by those who are eager, keen, and lesser experienced and younger in the faith as controlling and manipulative. Listen to my old pastor, Pastor McConnell. Leader, there's a great difference between age and maturity. Age is a quantity of time. Maturity is a quality of experience. From I've got saved, I don't know why, but when I was younger, I used to sit in the, I used to love sitting listening to the older men in the faith. Many of them talked about early, early Pentecost. They were, they're well gone and dead now, but they talked about when Pentecost, when the Spirit moved, when things were really happening and revival was coming to the churches and how the blessing was flowing in the meetings. I used to love listening to it. They used to talk about uh, different doctrines and I used to eat it up and try and work it out and I got confused at times. But I used to realize they had something that, younger company didn't seem to have. They had experience of life with faith. I'm going to tell you something personal. I didn't know whether, don't know whether, didn't know whether to tell you this or not, but I'm going to tell you it anyhow. Very, very personal. I'm not telling you what it was, but a, few year, a lot of years ago, a lot of years ago, I was in a meeting with Pastor McConnell and another pastor. And me, and me being young and full of vigor, and I used to be pretty hot-headed. I know you wouldn't think it now. And I'm not hot-headed, by the way. I used to be, but I used to be very hot-headed, but God had to deal with me and things. I can be at times, but um, I was all the time. 
And in this meeting, something came up and I said something to Pastor McConnell and he did not like it. By the way, I was wrong and he was right. But I thought I was right. I thought I was right. When he was dying, sitting by his bedside, a few days before he died, I was talking to him and I said, Bishop, I want to tell you something. Do you remember the time? He says, Axel, we don't need to talk about that. I says, no, I want to get this clear. I wasn't ready. I thought I was, but I wasn't ready. I was wrong and you were right. I says, and even now, sometimes I feel, what am I even doing here? Sometimes I feel unable and incapable and to carry the load is heavy. I says, it's heavy. And it's inexplainable unless you're here. It's heavy. Spiritually heavy, mentally heavy. I says, it's heavy, but I don't feel I'm even ready now. And he grabbed me by the arm and he says, son, listen, that's how you know you are ready. Yes, you are. You weren't before, you are now. But God has brought you through so much to teach you. Brothers and sisters, it took years for me to learn and I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I thought I could jump to the top rung right away and there I was. I'd be the preacher. I was going to preach around Belfast and the buildings would crumble down around me if there was any sinners in them. Jacob left for Padanaram at the behest of his father Isaac. And Isaac, with his own experiences of life and living, but more importantly, with his personal revelation of God and his encounters with God, sent his son forth. Sent his son forth. And his son had to realize there's a God in heaven that knows every step you're taking when you're away from your father's house. There's a God that knows every step that you take when you're away from your father's house. And Isaac was sending him forth knowing that God's eye would be upon his son. And he prays a blessing over him. Notice what it says in verse 3. And God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee that thou mayest be a multitude of people and give thee the blessing of Abraham, give the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land where thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham and Isaac sent away Jacob. He tells him to take a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, his mother's brother. But on this occasion and on this excursion. The greatest event has yet to happen in the life of Jacob. I think the only other greater event in this is when he wrestled with the Lord all night and he changed his name to Israel. But this would be the greatest event that had happened to Jacob in his life so far. And it culminates in verse 17 with Jacob when he sees the ladder. His head is on the pillow of stone. And there he sees the angels of God ascending and descending upon it. And he says, and he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God. Notice, and this is the gate of heaven. Jacob, for the first time in his life, was finding out there's a heaven again and a hell to shun. There's a dread here, Lord. There's a dread. There'll be those who'll stand before God in the dread of it. The dread of it because they don't know Christ. The terror of the Lord. There'll be those of us who are saved 
And we will rejoice and say, this is the gate of heaven to our souls. That Christ is the gate of heaven to our souls. We could say, you and I could say, what if Jacob had been rebellious and refused to go? No, I want to stay and marry a Canaanite. Because we read here in this chapter, Esau did it. Isaac goes out, that's the seed line of promise. And Esau, who gave up the birthright for a pot of super stew, lentils, a bowl of it. He says, well, I'm not going there. I'm going to marry off these Canaanitish women. I'm going to just take it easy and handy here. We, we could say, what if Jacob had been rebellious and refused to go? What if Jacob had procrastinated and stalled his departure from Beersheba? Would he have missed, missed this great event, this happening? We could ask, we could question, we could wonder, but in God and his sovereignty and his providence had Jacob right there at that very time. And listen, I hear all the time people say, oh, what if I miss the call of God? I'm going to tell you something. You can never miss the call of God. Because if God is calling you and you're not saved, God will deal with you with irresistible grace to draw you that you'll behold his son. And if you're a Christian, you say, oh, what if I miss the call of God? And you get so confused, you get upside down, and you get all flustered and agitated, and you think if you don't pray 10 times a day about it, you're going to miss it. Jacob just went out. Jacob just went forth. And as Jacob went out and Jacob went forth, God knew the place and the time. God knew the very things that was going to happen to him. God knew where he would be. God knew, as it says in the reading, as the sun went down, he knew what part of the day. He knew his head would be on a stone of pillow. A pillow stone. He knew where to drop the ladder from heaven to earth. He knew where to drop the ladder from heaven to earth. In fact, he not only dropped the ladder He sent the angels down upon it. I'll not miss it. God will speak to you. And in his providence, he's there before you already get there. He's away ahead of you. Listen to Thomas Watson. There are three things in God's providence. There are three things in God's providence. First of all, God foreknowing. Secondly, God determining. And thirdly, God directing all things to their period and events. Let me run through some things just to show you tonight. For example, Genesis 22, we have Abraham taking Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him unto the Lord. Now, Abraham, he says, take thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Not just to put a knife in and kill him. Not just, Lord, here's the altar. Here's Isaac. I'm going to put the knife in. He was to be a burnt offering. He was to be burnt. He was to be cremated. He was to go to dust and ashes, to cinders. What's in the Lord telling you to do that? To your child? Imagine the faith You'd need to do it to carry it out because here's the thing. The Lord says, and Isaac shall thy seed be called. So Abraham knew by faith that if he put Isaac upon the altar, stuck in the knife and drew his blood out, and if he lit the altar and burned him to dust and ashes, he knew with all his heart that God would raise him again from the dead because he says, and Isaac shall thy seed be called. That's some faith, isn't it? Oh, how we lack faith in the things of God. 
how we lack faith in that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ever ask or think of him. How we lack faith and belief in him at times. You know, God knew exactly where he was. Here's, this is what Abraham says. Isaac says, here's the wood and here's the fire, but where's the sacrifice? Now, Isaac wasn't a wee dumb kid just walking up behind his daddy. He was a young man carrying the wood up the hill. And as they go up one side of the mountain, Abraham says, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. Notice, not provide for himself. The Lord will provide himself. He'll come himself as a sacrifice. What a picture of Christ. And as Abraham and Isaac are climbing up one side of the mountain. There was a ram going up the other side and just at the right place at the right time, then he just happened to get his big horns caught in the thickets of a bush. God had it all ready there for him. In Genesis 21 and 19, God showed Hagar a well to drink from even in the desert when there wasn't one. Here's where you go to drink that Ishmael would not die. And Jonah, the Lord, prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Think about this. The Lord had prepared a great fish. See that big, we call it a whale sometimes. Whether it was a great fish or a whale. Do you ever think that the years that thing has been swimming around in the sea? Think of the travels of that big whale or fish up and down the Mediterranean and, and so forth all night towards the Atlantic. Do you ever think of the, the mileage it's covered and, uh, and the happenings in its life? And, and little did it know and little did Jonah know at the exact moment in the middle of a storm when he's turfed overboard by the sailors in the boat because they're saying he's bringing sin among them, that this big fish is going to come along and go, bloop. just go on. God was directing. It says, and the Lord prepared. The Lord prepared it. In Jonah 4 and 6, the Lord prepared a gourd. In Jonah 4 and 7, and God prepared a worm. So he put a gourd up and Jonah's landing beneath it thinking, oh, that's lovely from the heat of the day and the sun, a bit of shade. And the Lord says, it's all right, Jonah, because I've already got a wee worm that's coming. He was born a lot of weeks ago and he's going to eat that. Apparently, this is a castor oil plant and it's very easily destroyed. So the worm just has to start munching at it, boom, and it dies. And God prepared the very timing of it. And then Jonah 4 and 8, it says, And God prepared a feminine east wind and the sun and beat upon the head of Jonah. And he fainted and wished himself to die and said, It's better for me to die than to live. Dear Jonah, you're in the belly of a whale. You said, out of the belly of hell, cried I, and the Lord heard me. You're in the belly of a whale, down at the bottom of the sea, and out of the belly of that hell you cried. The bars of his ribs were around you. He spits you out, as it were, out onto the very shoreline. And God brings, in, brings you along and prepared a gourd to cover you. Now prepared a worm to eat it. Brings an east wind across it to get you moving. And you lie and go, this isn't fair. What a walk to have with God. What an experience in the troubled times. And we all be like Jonah. Better than I wasn't even born today. And the Lord's saying, I'm going to blow on you harder if you don't hurry up and move some and preach to this people. You know what he says? You're more worried about the gourd and you're more worried about that worm than you are about the souls of men. That's what God was teaching them. There's people who are more worried. More worried about a pay packet in the pulpit. More worried about who they'll lose if they preach hard things in truth. And more worried about the things that the outside world may say. More worried about what the government may say. They're more worried about what Facebook might say. I'm worried about the souls of men.
prepared a coin in a fish's mouth. <laughs> Peter went fishing. He pulled up the fish and there's a big coin in it to pay the taxes. Strange Peter caught that fish, isn't it? Boy, as they would say, commas, must have been very, 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 very lucky. It's like there was nothing exploded and became everything. And we with our intelligence and our emotional abilities and capabilities here, well, we are just a product of a big bang. Uh, we're just a product of a, of a swamp monster, you know, coming crawling out of it on its elbows, its knees, and its hands and legs to go into some sort of a figure of a man and a woman. Do we not see that the, the very providence of God Peter, go and throw a line in with a worm on it and you pull out the very first fish. He didn't say, try it again. Oh, try it again. No, it's not that one. Try it again, Peter. There's a shoal coming. Keep trying, Peter. There's another one. There's another one. And you're pulling out the fish like this. No, it's not in that fish. It's the very first fish. It's the first one. He says, and you pull out that first fish. Look in its mouth and Peter pulls it out and goes, look at that there. Lord, it's going to pay the taxes to the Romans. Now, that's the providence of God. Do you remember the wee course we would sing is from Scripture? This is the day. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. But you know that that's written in the Psalms, part of the great Hallel that Christ would have sung the night that we have read about in John 13. He would have sang Psalm 113 to 118 and worshipped his father before he went to the cross. And he had to come to the part, this is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. This was the day in all eternity. This was the day that the Father had made that before there was even a sinner or an atom on the earth, there was a Savior in glory. And he says, Son, this is the day when you will die. And he takes off his garments and he gets a basin of water and he brings it over the rotten, filthy disciples' feet and he puts on a towel and he gets down and washes their feet. He sings that night. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord hath made. That the Lord hath made. We will rejoice. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made. And there he sits with Calvary looming and the devil in the heart of Judas Iscariot. He would betray him. Peter would deny him. The disciples would run and leave him. And there he's singing in all of it. This is the day that my father's made. He came for that day. The day when he would bleed and die for the remission of our sins. To cleanse us and forgive us of all our iniquities and unrighteousness. And man and woman try to bring their churchianity and their ritual and their religion. And they think they're good enough when Christ came and cried, this is the day providence of the father the tree that he hung on think about it someone planted it the father watched it and while it grew until he was hung upon it this is the day I'm going to close in a minute well a few minutes see Remember Haman, the book of Esther? He started building the gallows, being the old subtle enemy of Mordecai, the Judaite in Babylon. The Jews were there. Remember 
Mordecai, or sorry, Haman starts to build the gallows. He's going to hang him on it. Do you remember that? Little did he know that he's building those gallows in the providence of God for himself to hang on because he ended up hanging on it and Mordecai didn't. Proverbs 16 and 33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is off the Lord. Sometimes in your life, friend, your life's a mess. The whole lot's just cast into your lap. How do you make sense of this? How do I make sense of my life? How do I make sense of the things that's happening, the things that's going on in my life? I can't make sense of it in my head, but how do I make sense of the, of the way my family is, the way my friends are, and I've lost everything, or my work? You, you get it all together, and the whole lot is like cast into your lap, but if you give yourself into the hands of the Lord tonight and give everything into the Lord, it says that disposing thereof is off the Lord. He works it out. He works it out. So a lot of things at the moment I don't understand. So a lot of things going on with me and in my life, and I sort of think, Lord, I don't know where to go to next here. But you know what, Lord? It's in my lap. I'm just going to ask you, would you look at this? Would you take control of this? And he disposes of it as he providently and sovereignly looks at it. He brings to pass that which is good for us. Jacob was leaving for a meeting with a girl. But little did he know he was leaving for a meeting with God. Maybe you've come here tonight and you thought you were coming for a meeting for another reason. To see someone about something or to talk to someone about something. You're coming for a meeting for business or you've come for a meeting for this, that or the other. And maybe you thought, well, I'm going to come for a meeting. I'm even going to go and try out this tent. This tabernacle Christ encounters tabernacle, you know. And maybe someone's asked you, invited you, and you've come along, and it's just been another night for you to come. And I say to you, friend, there's no coincidence with God, just God's providence. Divine appointments, and you are meant to be here at this place point in time to hear this word, even if you have come with your burdens and your problems from another assembly and church. And God says, why don't you just go there tonight? And in your head, you've left like Jacob has left his father's house. And you've walked in those doors, and you've taken the seat, and you've heard something that's, well, no, the Lord knows all about me. It's in his providence. So in Genesis 28, let me get a drink. It's warm up here. I'm going to do this point and I'm going to stop. God willing, next week we're going to look at the stone. This stone is used by the kings of Israel, you know. It's used to be coronated on. Some say they stand beside it. Some say they stood upon it. But to be coronated upon uh, the whole tradition of it all comes over then to Ireland. And the ancient kings of Ireland, uh, they called it the Leofoil in the Irish. Leofoil. And Scotland then took it from the, the Dalriadic kingdom over, over to Schoon, uh in, in Perth in, in, in Scotland. And you can see a place called Moot Hill at Perth, uh, Schoon Palace in Perth and Scotland there. And there they used to come and they had carried some of their soil, all the tribes of Scotland, and they used to empty their boots with soil in it and dump it up. And over the years, it actually made a hill. And there they have a replica of it sitting on the top of the hill to this day. It's a replica. But the real one is in Edinburgh Castle. You can see it. And, and the kings of Scotland were crowned upon it. Right down to James VI of Scotland. James VI of Scotland becomes James I of England and Scotland. And James I is the one who has a King James Bible translated and it's put under the seat of you. Look at, at the, the, the throne in, in, in London there. It's put under, here's a big square and it's put under there and it's King Edward I's chair and they call it the Stone of Destiny. The Scots call it the Stone of Scone and the Irish call it the Leofoil. 
fact, go to Tara's Hill, I think it's in County Meath, and there's a, there's a, a replica of a big one standing like this right on Tara's Hill. Tells you the story of it. We don't need to tell you that next week now after telling you all of it. No, we'll look at it a bit more. But this represents Christ because Abraham's blessing comes to Jacob here. Isaac then to Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel and there the blessing comes. This becomes the stone kingdom. Notice what it says in Genesis 28 and 11. And he lighted upon a certain place, tarried there all night because the sun was set and he took stones of that place and put them for his pillows to li- and lay down it, down on it. And that place, for I lay down at that place to sleep. Excuse my eyes are a bit blurry there. Notice the certain place. And he didn't know where it was. It was a certain place. You don't know in your life where you are in the sense it's a certain place. Your walk, it's a certain place. And sometimes you feel like giving up, but you're in a certain place. And sometimes you come to a place and it's a certain place and God shows up for you. And you look back and say, I remember that certain place when God came. This is why he anointed the stone. This is none other than the house of God, the Bethel. And hence, the ladder shows the one way to heaven. Jesus Christ is the ladder. I'll show you that next week. The angels of God ascending and descending upon the ladder. It's a picture of Christ. The angels that ministered to Christ in his human form and ministry in the earth. And the vow that comes out of Jacob's mouth. Certain place, there was a certain scribe who comes to Jesus. There's a, a certain ruler who worshipped him. There, there was a certain woman who came and anointed him. And it talks about the certains, but yet God knows them. I didn't know the day, the date, the time, the place, when and where, or under whose ministry I would be served or saved, even if I would be saved. I had no thought about it. I didn't know the condition I'd be in or the position I'd be found in as I journeyed through life. I heard of God and of a Savior called Jesus Christ. I knew nothing of the gospel, thought nothing of Christ, and believed nothing about it. My certain time, my certain time, and my certain place, the when and the where which I was saved was different than everybody else's because you were saved somewhere if you're saved. You were saved maybe in a, in a church or in a mission hall or maybe you were saved in a tent meeting. Maybe you were saved at work. Maybe you were saved in your bedroom, driving your car. Listen, brothers and sisters, my certain place is different than everyone else's who is saved, who is different from mine. Nevertheless, God knew where to find us. He came seeking the lost. Somehow the certain place of a church pew is a revelation of Calvary. Somehow the certain place of a a church building is a revelation of Calvary or a tent is a revelation of Calvary or the workplace becomes the revelation of Calvary. You're in the spirit, you see, but the certain place where God found you, there is Calvary. There's the Savior, there's the Lamb, and there's the blood. And if someone tells you they've been saved any other way than the revelation of Christ and his blood at Calvary, then they're not saved. They're not saved. You can only be saved by the ladder of Jacob. You can only be saved the one way, the narrow way. You can only be saved in this way, by Calvary. A jailhouse could be Calvary, a revelation of Calvary. A schoolhouse could be a revelation of Calvary. A university, a college could be a revelation of Calvary. Wherever a hospital bed, a deathbed can turn into a revelation of Calvary. And that person at that time says, this is the gate of heaven. The Christ who died for me. On the cross, the revelation of Christ on his cross at Calvary. This is the gate of heaven. Have you ever found the gate of heaven? Have you seen the gate of heaven? Can I ask your friend, have you been through the gate of heaven? Have you come by the gate of heaven? The cross of Christ.
God willing, I'll start there next week. If the Lord allows me. I'll start there next week.